Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're in 1 Corinthians twice today, haven't we? <laughs> and um, we started last week. We just got introduction, the setting, and Paul sending his regards, and we didn't get that finished. But Paul sending his regards, the salutation that we first of all saw, and Paul's certification, an apostle. Uh, Troy's been starting on that in the adult class, apostle and disciple. And Paul's co-workers there in verse 1, Sosthenes is one of them there that is mentioned. And uh, he was uh, used to be a ruler with Justin in the synagogue in Corinth. So when you get such influential people who are Jewish people saved and starting a church, there's a lot of people that are going to say, huh, if they, know, if they believe this is true, then I'm switching from the synagogue to the church in a, in a, in a house that they often met in there in, in old times. They didn't have buildings like we do today. And so it was a time when Paul sent this letter to them and they were all gathered together. Remember last week we developed that thought and, and then the moderator got up, might have been one of them men. Sosthenes or Justin and uh, got up and they all hushed and quietened and listened to the message and this was 1 Corinthians the letter that was given to them personally never knowing that this is going to become a Bible book this is part of the canon of scripture they didn't realize that this was this is just a letter to them aren't you glad that the people that carried these letters from Paul to wherever they wanted to go were faithful didn't get it pen out and say let's change what he said here I, I, I assume they did, probably didn't even read it as they were carrying it they might have but uh, took it to the people that today we've got the word of God and uh, complete inspired by the spirit of God let's pray as we begin looking at this evening study thank you heavenly father for the ministry of Paul the ministry to these people who had many needs, this church that was way out in a lot of areas. And Lord, because of that, we have instruction in many areas of life too. As we learnt that Israel is an example to us, so these early churches and these letters written to them are a great teaching for us and how to live in, in a wicked world as these Corinthians did. Lord, bless the word tonight. Use it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've had the introduction there. As he saluted them, he gave his salutation. And he's saying in verse 2, unto the church of God. And we asked a question about this verse. What do you see in this verse last week at the close? Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that in every place Call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. He is their Lord and he's our Lord. So he's their Lord that are in every place and he's our Lord here at Corinth and Paul where he was. Uh, <clears throat> written from Rome actually. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ that in everything ye are enriched by him, in all utterance and in all knowledge, 
even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Interesting, the end of that verse, and also the end of the verse before it, what it mentions. God is faithful, verse 9, by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so here comes the letter. And what better way to greet people than in on a nice note? And he did that here. He's talking to the sanctified. So he has the salutation first, verse 1, then speaking to the sanctified, the saints there at Corinth, the local church. So we see the place, first of all. Let's compare the city that they lived in with the church that was in the city. The city was founded by Julius Caesar. We've heard of him in secular history. The church was founded by Jesus Christ. The Corinthian city was founded on commerce. The church is founded on Calvary. <coughs> Excuse me. I knew that was coming. So, one was founded on commerce. And isn't that the t- today? I remember years ago when things really started winding, getting wound up in the late 60s and 70s and businesses and factories and cities and it's just growing exponentially, you say, and it's still happening today. I know Christians are saying, oh, look, look at this. Commerce, this business is everywhere, big business. And it's got so big now that the big ones are making money even in COVID problems. They, they stung the poor people. Somehow they got it out of them. They have that figured out. But commerce, it, it's only temporal. Remember that. But Calvary has a permanent effect and eternal effect. The city, a place for business. The church, a place for believers to gather and meet and to build each other up in the Lord. Isn't that so? That's what the church should be. Um, great commodities and pleasures were had in Corinth. But the purity of the church is to be something that the Lord beholds beholds as he sanctifies it. It's a product of the world, the city was, but the church is a product of the word of God. Now, this city, which is in Greece, the lower part down there, was ruined by the Romans. For a hundred years it was desolate, but was rebuilt by Julius Caesar. That's why we say it was founded by Julius Caesar. A very fast pace of life. I was, trying, I was looking up this afternoon, but I couldn't get the history from the phone. But the Ithamian Games were held there every two years. And just talk this week of, um, was it Brisbane? Getting the Olympic Games in 2032. Am I right? That was what the news was this week. And so they're all excited about it because it brings, bring, brings people in, it brings commerce. It bring, and, and these people in an old-fashioned town as this had these games every two years. Not, we have the Olympics every four. So they would have been busy when one finished to get the next one ready. It wasn't passed around from country to country. And I believe, and I looked at the history, historical record this afternoon, that these games are the basis of our Olympic games even these days. 
They didn't tie right through, but that's what they said, the Greek games in, in Greece. Um, <clears throat> there's idolatrous temple of Aphrodite, a thousand prostitutes served in that place, a terrible place. This is a sort of town. It was a town of about 600,000 people. So you're getting the picture of where this church was founded and where these people, these saints, came from. It was like a Greek Sodom, it was said. Immorality, drunkenness, paganism. Uh, it had uh, famous bronze foundries there, run by slaves who never saw the light of day, who worked underground all the time. And uh, <clears throat> these were the sinners who Paul saw as needing salvation. These were the sinners when Paul went there to establish the church, got saved, and totally changed their lifestyle. They're a big change. For whom much has been forgiven, they loveth much. And this is the case it should have been in the Corinthian church. So he saw this town as needing salvation. And the only way was to correct this church, that it was a pure church, that people could see there's a difference in this church than the outside world. And so we see the place, the, the people of it, of this church. It says they were sanctified in stark contrast to the pornography and perverted populace who lived a decadent life and depraved alternative lifestyle in Corinth. The believers were sanctified. We today ought to be sanctified, and, as it, and we say it many times from Peter, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Be separate so that people see the difference. And so the place, Corinth, the people sanctified there in verse 2. This is the local church that was sitting in amongst this depraved. What does Jesus say? You're a light on a hill that cannot be hidden. You're the salt of the earth that preserves this decadent society and depraved society in which we live. Why is the world slipping away from moral, stable things and godliness? It's because the church is slipping away. And it's always it's been said, you know, his, this is, say, the world, and it's walking this way, and the church is here. And the church is just staying stem, 10 steps behind the world. Huh. So what the world was 20 years ago, the church is becoming. That's, that's bad. The world has come into the church and influencing that, and we, we shouldn't allow that. We're sanctified. And the Lord Jesus said this. He, he prayed this for those that would get saved in, in the church age. He said... In John 17, verse 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou sent me into the world, even so I have sent them into the world. And for, for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they might also be sanctified through the truth. That, that's what God wants. A, a local church in a place that is polluted with sin to be sanctified separate from the world. And people take notice of those sort of people. Um, <clears throat> they're looking. They're looking at us. So these people in this local church were sanctified. They were called saints. To them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, he said in verse 2. The ecclesia, the called out one, called to be saints. We're called out of this world. And the local church should, you know, be comprised of saints who, who are saints someone that's been 
said to be a saint by a church? No. Someone who is saved by the Lord Jesus Christ through his blood who has repented of their sins. These are saints according to the Lord. We're all saints in Christ Jesus if we're truly born again. So the local church should be comprised of those who are sanctified saints. And um, Adolf, Adolf. <laughs> you know, we say we referred to him as the church just over there that's on Urana Road. They, when he was doing a bit of building there way, way, way back, they asked him to become a, a, a leader in the church there. And he, he was, what? <laughs> I'm not even a Christian. And he understood that, you know. People in a church should be sanctified saints. So if, if you've got people in a church that are not Christians, how can they be sanctified? How, the, how can they be a testimony? And so God wants this. We're saints. And, this, and, and remember where they're living and remember the behaviour they were getting up to. They were becoming like they used to be. Only 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And that is wrong. They were called out once. Ecclesia, the called out once. Um, <clears throat> so we can see the church's origin. And um, this, the order of the church, the offices and all the things of the church... <laughs> It should be a, a, something that people can see and take notice of. So the place, the people, and the other church that's mentioned here, with all, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. And uh, I asked the question in conclu concluding last week, what's that speaking about? If the first part speaking about, in verse 2, a local church, what's the next part? Universal. The universal church. It's a church worldwide. It's a church out all over the world. And the Lord knows who are saints, who are sanctified, does he not? It's not the church, worldwide church with all the buildings and the programs and the organization of men. We're to be organized, but we're to be indwelt by the Spirit of God and let him organize us. Um, the local church, whether it be at Corinth or Ephesus or Pergamos, you can go to Revelation chapter 2 and 3, the seven churches there and the other churches that aren't mentioned there, the letters are written to in the New Testament, local churches. But here he is in, he's referring to the bigger church, the larger church, the universal church. Um, there's a church in Adelaide, there's a church in Albury, there's a church in Perth, there's churches in Perth that are... Uh, part of the church but they don't tell us what to do we don't tell them what to do but they are part of the church and uh, we 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 have to recognize that as we be, we become cultish in our in our thinking don't we you know, you know we're the only ones there are and and in other churches in town here there are christians are there not christians in of course there are you can't deny that but are they following the scriptures as we see them to be understood and practiced? No. That's why that we, be, we are an independent church. But the church is, yes, universal in its breadth. Let's look back at chapter 12 and verse 13 of 1 Corinthians. And we mentioned this one a few times lately and maybe last week. By one spirit are we all baptized into one body, into one body whether we be Jews or Greeks, whether we be Alberians, 
Is that a word? <laughs> Whether we be from Albury or Adelaide or Sydney or wherever, we are in that one body. Bond or free have been all made to drink into one spirit for the body. And this is talking about the body here. Yeah, and, it, and, and as you read it, it can be, re, as you look at it, you can see this is, yeah, I can see this in a local church. You know, there's an arm, there's an eye, there's an ear, there's a nose, and all the things that need to be to function the local church. Let's go to the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians chapter 5. <clears throat> and in the book of Ephesians, it's not only the, the church is not only referred to a body, compacted by that which every joint supplies, but it's also spoken about as other things in this book. Body, in chapter 4 and verse 4 of Ephesians, where it says there is one body and one spirit. Even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Um, <clears throat> one body. Verse 12 of the same chapter, it says, For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Verse 16, verse, that's twice mentioned there. But then you go to chapter, well, back to chapter 2 and verse 19. It says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. You are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So are they in our local church, the apostles and prophets? No, that, that was like Troy said. That's the foundation. You don't do, do to build two foundations. You build one. And it was being built on there. And the church worldwide has grown in number. <laughs> and does the Lord know that there is an exact number of people that will be in the church from from Pentecost to the rapture? Is there an exact number? Does it say that in the scriptures? Yep. Until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. It, it, it doesn't say the number, but it says there are going to be, when it's full, the Lord will come. That's it. Do, do it does anyone know? No. <laughs> we can speculate about things, and I've heard speculations about that. But the universal church as a building has been built together. And as we've said before, you know, we're, we're doing the final touch. The Lord's doing the final touches on the church to put it together and uh, built upon the foundation of these apostles and prophets. There, the, the apostles, once only given to the church, and uh, preachers and teachers, as is said earlier in chapter 4, or later in chapter 4 of Ephesians, are those that God gives now. Um, that's so there's a body, there's a building, and chapter 5 and verse 22 and following there, verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, and is Christ is head of the church. He is the saviour of the body. It's talking about body, but it's also talking about a bride that's been put together. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands. And, and you can't get around it, but it's inferring that this is being built together over time, over millennia, we know already, 2,000 years, come a few, come about another seven years, the church has been functioning and it's been built together. So I don't have it that it's just the local church without the, the extension of that, the universal church from all people, from all nations, from all over different denominations where saved people and saints are in those places. Now, I wouldn't call 
many a church a church. It's just a building where some, some are in. <laughs> uh, they're called out ones, as we said already. Ecclesia. It's <clears throat> united in not only its broadness, but in its belief, this universal church. We share a common salvation. It says in Jude, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. And as Paul said in our text here tonight, all those that call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they can be from the jungles of New Guinea, where the uh, Gary and Faith work up there in New Guinea, they can be. They are part of those that call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and their Lord, same Lord overall, rich unto all those that call upon Him. So united in belief of the common salvation, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. And so the Corinthians had lost sight of the lordship of Jesus Christ. They call on the Lord. They, they were governing their own lives. They were living as they pleased, yet they were believing people. They were saints, but they weren't acting saintly. And by no stretch of the imagination, in, when you read through the book of Corinthians, is this so? <clears throat> and we, rec we ought to recognize, united in our belief that he is Lord and we need to submit to him. The salutation to the sanctified saints, verse 2, and the signature of Paul in verse 3, grace be to you, this is something he wrote to so many a church when he wrote to them, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. As to the substance of this signature he gave, <coughs> we, we say when we meet each other at church, um, what do we say? Good morning, good evening, good day, good, <laughs> good greetings. greetings. We, we, we use phrases like that. Doug's smiling, I wonder what he's thinking. <laughs> don't smile no yes you can smile um, we say that the Greeks said what did they say it's here grace grace okay we say we, when you say grace you say grace at a meal but they said grace be with you you know we say we, we, div we give a different greeting not everybody has to do what we do and that they can function just as good as a church and as a society in many ways. But grace. What did the Jews say? What did the Jews say when they meet each other now? Shalom. Shalom. Yeah. Peace. And, and it's peace, not just peace individually, but peace be to your family. So here East and West meet and become one in the Lord Jesus Christ, where Ephesians 2.15 reads, He is our peace. Shalom, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of petition between us, having abolished in the f his flesh the enmity. Now, with the African folk coming along, I don't know what their greeting would be. <laughs> um, January was here this morning. And we're looking at the pictures from over there. And I said, you know, yeah, yeah, that building there, that, that's a wood one. And they'd been in that building <laughs> as they pulled the roof off the old one and put the new one right over the top. They're going right over the top of the old one with their frame. 
but how they greet each other would be different to what we are. It's, it's hard. It's hard for them to become accustomed to the way we do things. We're different. <laughs> they're different. We say they're different. We, they say we're, di- you know, and, and if you met a Greek, you're different in the, of this day. And the Jewish people are different. <laughs> you go to the airport, the international airport, and you see how people greet each other and, and the way they do it. You know, and Australians, oh, come on, you know, just ease up <laughs> all over each other. And some of them are, are like that. It's interesting. But the signature of Paul was grace. He was in the Greek culture there. He was a Jewish man in a Greek culture. And he could be, that's what he meant when he said he could be all things to all men. It's not that he compromised. He got to know what they, how they tick, what what their culture was so that he could apply the word of God and it is applicable to all situations, isn't it? <clears throat> and it can change people. As to its substance, we, yes, grace. As to its source, the signature from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, he said there. Deity is seen. Jesus Christ is mentioned nine times in nine verses He is the source of this wonderful grace that we have in him. Here Paul is nailing the Corinthians down to that wonderful name, the Lord Jesus Christ, in his introduction, in his salutation and signature. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Ignoring all others, Paul said to the Corinthians, it's Jesus Christ. You can see where he's going. He's got it in his mind already. You folk are all split and divided. You need to be united in who? The Lord Jesus Christ. So even in this signature, this salutation here, he's giving who we're united in. Not Paul, not Apollos, not Peter, not the Pope, not the pastor. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, these people, these Corinthians were marching off under all different banners in all different directions and they weren't united as they should have been under the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's only 17 years that this church was established prior to this letter. And many have believed and were still alive who had heard Paul preaching. They'd seen his miracles, they'd heard his message and uh, watched his ministry and they'd believed. But he's pointing them all back. You know, they could have said, Paul, I'm of Paul, I'm of a Paul. No, Paul's saying right in the introduction, look to the Lord, not to me. So Paul sends his regards, he states his respects in verses 4 to 9. Let's go a little way into this. Paul always found something for which to give thanks. Notice that in verse 4, I thank my God. That's a good way to meet and greet people. You know, grace be to you, good day, whatever, and commend them for things. And then if there's a rebuke, then there's that rebuke. And then there's, at the end of it, sandwich it into something that we can give thanks for. Do you do that with your children too? You know, they have done wrong, but there is right that they have done. And we need to recognise that. Sometimes we just get all negative about it. We need, and as Paul did here, to these Corinthians, who's going to be very negative to, he, he said, I thank God 
my God always. Imagine, imagine the people listening to who might have been Sosthenes reading this and, oh, good. <laughs> he, he still believes we're saints. He still believes we're sanctified. He's thanking God for us. He, they're being built up, aren't they? And uh, so in Christ we should be. But <clears throat> even when things look grim, we need to give thanks. It's a key to victorious Christian life. The Lord gave thanks for the bread and the cup just before, or even before, he, he suffered on the cross. He gave thanks for that, though times be grim. And they were. He, they didn't know, but he knew what was going to happen. A praising man is a prevailing man, it's been said. And so Paul was thankful. There's always something to thank the Lord for. And if, you, if we get... Too un well, if we get ungrateful at all, we ought to think, well, what about others? Uh, what are they going through? Uh, what haven't they got that I've got? And you can be thankful. Thankful for the grace that God had given to them, first of all. He said that. For the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. So matter, no matter how dark the day and dire the circumstances, Paul always gave thanks for something. In everything give thanks, he said in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. And Paul was thankful for the grace that had brought the Corinthians to the Lord Jesus. Paul in the New Testament used grace 110 times out of 155 uses in the New Testament. And what is it? It's unmerited favour. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. It's getting something that we don't deserve. And mercy is not getting something we do deserve. John Bunyan attributed his understanding of God to the grace of God. He, he, he attributed that. John Newton, another John, attributed his understanding of God to, to, to what? The song we sing that he wrote, Amazing Grace. And it would be the case for all of us. Amazing grace. Even, yes, if we were raised in a Christian family, we lived, as it were, good lives, we can come back to the fact that we are saved by the grace of God, not of yourselves, as a gift of God. It's the grace of God that got us saved. And Paul's converts at Corinth had lived terrible, depraved lives, terribly depraved lives. Revelings and riotings and gambling, and in this city that we display, just explained a little a, a little ago, sin was for sale on a massive scale. This is the place to come to sin. You know, we, we've got places in the world like that. I think I've never been there, King's Cross. You know, you go to places like this, your reputation goes before them, and this is the place to go, the temple of where the prostitutes were reigned. And Corinthians took this corruption for granted. This is the way people live. This is the pleasures you can have at the expense of a lot of people who didn't have any pleasure, who were the slaves who run the city, who really kept the cogs going in the city. But these people would come with what they had and enjoy the sin of the city. I've got Proverbs chapter 30 written down here. And it says... There is a generation that curses their father and doth not bless their mother. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet are not washed from their filthiness. And this, 
these sort of generations, these cities that we talk about where, where churches had been established were like that. And these people, it was the grace of God that got them out of that. Thank God for that. And um, <clears throat> uh, Brother John's testimony, uh, um, Brother John is visiting with us. You, you listen to his testimony, uh, how he got, got saved in Alice Springs. God's grace is good. It was going to finish it all. And walking across the road, in, in way up there, <laughs> he, there's a fellow, people come up to him and talked about salvation on the street. <laughs> and there he was presented with the grace of God and the gospel of God. And there he got saved. And I, mean, I don't want to share, I want him to share that with you. Ask him about it, and he'd be glad to tell you about how he got saved. Um, and, and grace from the, the terrible situations that he faced in life. There is a generation that doesn't realize this. They are not washed from their filthiness. There is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes and their eyelids are lifted up. Don't we live in a society like that? Who's God? We don't have to take notice of God. He doesn't even exist. And they're lofty in their own eyes. We have governments and leaders of governments in our country that are like that. Uh, they were there in Corinth. We think we got it bad. They had it bad too. And uh, trying to live in a godless society. But these are the ones from this, whom this church were made. They were, it was formed as a group of believing people, bringing all these people from different walks of life and different nationalities from a very sinful city into a church that is to be united and functioning as a body and a building and a bride can, is a big task. But it's God's work. Remember that. And so we find Paul thanking the Lord for the grace that had been shown to them and how they become God's own. And Paul thanked God, secondly, in verses 5 to 8, for their gifts. Not only the grace that was given, but the gifts that were given to them. That in everything ye are enriched by him. In all utterance and in all knowledge. You see where Paul's going. As I said already a few times, he's, he's got his mind made up. He's, he's formed an outline for this letter in his mind through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And he's talking about the gifts. You are enriched by him in all utterance. Where's that going to go later on? Tongues. In tongues. And in knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up. Love edified. He's going that direction. Introducing it even in this giving of thanks. And so Paul is stating his respects for them, for the grace of God, for their gifts. This was a talented church. Verse 7. Notice that, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord. He said to this church, you are a gifted people. Yeah, you, you see people that are gifted. You see people that have got it. You know, they've got, they've got the talents and they've got gifts. And you think, oh, I wished I had that. <laughs> but Paul looked at these and said, you are a gifted people. Charisma, the word there. A gift of grace, a free gift. Uh, we'll look at all these things later as they're developed by Paul as he's introducing them here. In all utterance, there, there it says, in everything you are enriched by him, in all utterance and in all knowledge. Utterance, logos, eloquence in discourse. They exaggerated the importance of these 
and were infatuated by the gifts that they had got. And they were for real Holy Spirit given gifts. Could these guys speak in tongues? Yeah, they could. <laughs> did they have the gifts of knowledge? Yes, they did they have other gifts? You read chapter 12. They had a lot of these gifts. And he's saying, I thank God that you've got these. You're, you're enriched by him. And they need to recognize that fact. We need to recognize that fact. Not be infatuated with the gift, but be infatuated with the one who gave the gift that we might serve him with the gift in, in our service for the Lord. So this is a talented church in gifts, in utterance, and in knowledge. Gnosis the Greek word, Gnost, from which we get Gnostic. Um, <clears throat> the Corinthians, like all Greeks then, had an inflated love of the intellect. That's what they talked about. That's, <laughs> and this, these were the Greek people in Corinth. They didn't understand that natural cleverness, cleverness and intellectualism are valueless as means of spirituality. They thought if these people can do that, they must be spiritual. Isn't that what the charismatics go on about? We are above you. We're more spiritual than you. Can't you speak in tongues? You're not even a Christian if you can't speak in tongues. This is what they've said. I've had them say that to me. I know in the building where it was said to me in a passageway. John Wilson said, here, you, you, you deal with him. He was in John Wilson's secondhand store. And John, that was the way John, well, yeah, you, you deal with this fella. And, and then we started talking, I realised straight away he was charismatic. And I just said, well, give, those gifts aren't for today. And then, then he, he said, well, can you speak in tongues? And it all went, went on like that. And, well, you're not even a Christian, you can't speak in tongues. And this is what the Corinthians, these gifts that they have, they were abusing them instead of using them. Uh, <clears throat> not nice people to be around that know they've got that ability and use it, as it were, to put you down. Instead of using a gift to build people up, what are we given these things for? Reading through Corinthians, you come to the point where this word edify, edify, edification is used over and over again. If we've got something, are we using it for ourselves? No, we're using it for everybody's benefit. God has given talents and gifts and abilities. What are we using? They were prostituting the purposes of God in their life and their gifts rather than using them. So it was a talented church. You know, the Lord puts into churches people that are needed when they're needed to have that church, local church, grow with the talents and gifts. Uh, <clears throat> and so our time's up. We'll, we'll go on to the others, but you can read ahead and see there are other things that they had that Paul is commending them for having, but he's later going to uh, get onto them for abusing uh, that they had there. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness toward us, your grace that comes. Lord, we, we might have been people raised in Christian homes and we say we weren't that bad and, and we don't love much because we, as it were, seem to be forgiven little. But, Lord, you have forgiven us much. If one sin deserves hell for eternity, we've been forgiven of a lot. And I pray that as you save, have saved us and you've gifted us, that we might be gracious in the exercising of our abilities and talents and gifts toward other people. We not, may not abuse that as the Corinthians did and 
pat themselves on the back of how good they were when, Lord, these things were given as a gift. These things are granted to us by a, a gracious God and that we might use them to help build other people up. Lord, bless us as we go our ways and may the local church here be built up and grow together in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and exercising our abilities for the benefit of other people and for the glory of the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.